so damn tired of waiting on a perfect A plus B. The one size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember the walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is Episode 1, James Miles, Fresh Professor, recorded on March 20th, 2016, in Courtney's apartment. Listeners, you get bonus points if you can find the exact moment when Courtney's radiator turns on. So much has changed in the world from last March to the present moment. Courtney, what is happening? Well, I'll tell you what's happening. I've come from D.C. I went to the Americans for the Arts... Arts Advocacy Day that focused specifically on advocating to congressional leaders for the budget for the uh, National Endowment for the Arts. The NEA actually reaches all 50 states. Another fun fact that I learned was that uh, for every dollar that the NEA grants, that helps to leverage $9 of private funding. That's a lot of money. A dollar for $9? That's great. When you go to uh, the theater, for example, uh, what do you do? You take transportation. You may drive and park, pay for parking. You may have dinner beforehand or drinks after or all of the above. The arts and culture sector contributes to the gross domestic product at 4.2%, which actually amounts to $729 billion. Billion. Hello. As citizens, we have to speak up. We have to be able to reach out and speak up and tell your Congress people and your senators how you feel about all of the different issues that are important to you. And if there's a specific bill that's coming into legislation or coming to the floor to be voted on, how you want them to vote. Read the information, stay engaged, and stay persistent. This is actually the very first interview that I I had. James Miles, the fresh professor, was um, uh, my pilot, (laughs) my pilot interview. And I think it went pretty well. Um, James Miles. Oh, boy. I I have such deep feelings for this gentleman. Um, I met him many years ago, maybe 2007 or so. And over the years, he's really become um, a very special friend like uh you know like that's my dog he's my dog and when we recorded this which was uh early spring last year 2016 um he was working at urban arts partnership as the fresh professor since that interview he actually became the director of education for urban arts partnerships and now picked up his family and moved to seattle uh washington where he is the executive director for arts core arts core's mission is about creativity and justice in a region where race is the greatest predictor of whether a young person has access to an arts education. James is an actor. He is, um, you know, an arts a teaching artist and an arts educator. Um, he's really funny. He's a good, good person. Uh, one of the best out there. And frankly, he's just really cool. So I'm excited for you to hear episode one. James Miles, the Fresh Professor. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) My guest today uh, is one of the uh, teaching artists that I've been working with for a really long time, actually. James Miles. Greetings and salutations. Greetings. Um, So this is going to be a conversation 
that will focus on a few things. One, I want to understand better about your background and as an artist, as well as um, entering into the field of teaching artistry and what you do currently. But also, um, I've got a bunch of questions about what we do and how we do okay. what we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so some of those things will come up as we as we go. Is that okay? Sounds good. Great. So, uh, let's get started. Yeah. Uh, okay, so <clears throat> tell me uh, about where you grew up and how the arts were present in your life. I am from Chicago, Illinois, mm -hmm. and the arts were always a part of my life because my dad wanted to be a modern dancer, uh, but he chose a path of law and became a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So we often went to theater we saw lots and lots and lots of films mm -hmm. um, but lots of theater lots of dance uh, one of my parents best friends was on Broadway uh, in Cats <coughs> so I saw so many Broadway shows when I was a youth wow. and then my, my mom particularly took me to a lot of shows in Chicago uh, and then in 1987 I heard Boogie Down Productions oh. and they had an album called edutainment and it was education and entertainment and I know what it was at that time mm -hmm. but I knew I wanted to do it so the arts will always have been a part of my life and then I saw a play in 1991 uh, Merchant of Venice with a multiracial cast oh. Shylock was black mm -hmm. uh, Portia was Asian American and I said oh okay there's a career I can have so that that was the first time you saw you felt like you saw yourself yes. present yeah, on, yeah. in one of these productions that you were yeah. going over the course of your childhood. And that's it. And that's, that changed my trajectory uh, of what I was going to do. That's really, what, what were you going to do prior to that? Prior to that, I was going to be in international business, which I didn't know what that meant either. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounded like something good to do uh -huh. as a career. So, uh, but, you know, I still played soccer, or as we say in the uh, United States, soccer. I played soccer a lot, and I wanted to go pro, but I didn't. So theater was my backup to my backup, mm, and, and then it became the forefront and became basically what I did for a living. Actually, it became what I did for a living. <laughs> right, actually. Yeah, did. yeah. Um, yeah I, I have a very similar background, actually. Yeah. My parents both had um, artistic leanings, but chose, you know, had other kinds of passions that ended up their careers. My dad, a math teacher, my mom, right. a librarian, but they always there was always music playing in the house we were always going to see plays whether it was on broadway or off broadway or at my dad's high school or right. in our local um town uh and then they also were a part of the church and they would sing there and you know they were, so the arts were and literature were a big thing in our family yes. yeah um and and for me it was the same kind of thing where ex i don't know if i saw myself on the stage or, or reflected back but i was so curious about how people knew what to do and when to do it Especially in musicals, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. how they all knew that they were going to break out into the song and how yeah, did they right. know to do that choreography at the same time and <laughs> yeah. what, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I wanted to understand that background process. And once I started doing plays myself as a kid, then I was like, oh, rehearsal. I get it. Oh, I get it. And there yeah. was just something about that whole process that just spoke to me. Right. In a way that, you know, math didn't. <laughs> or science. Yeah. Definitely not science. No. Although that's another process. So biology spoke to me. I did really well in biology. How about chemistry? No. No? No. I did not get it. No? No. I love a Bunsen burner, though. Physics? Force equals mass over acceleration? Nope. nope. It all, I like the pictures. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't understand the, the stuff behind it. Yeah, yeah. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. Yeah. <laughs> So what did you end up uh, majoring in, in college? I had multiple majors. Theater was one of them. English was another. And uh, mathematics. I, I left mathematics early because mm -hmm. I was a mathematics superstar. And that was to my detriment because my professor was intent on me showing all of the work for math problems. And I did all the work in my head. So I get the answer right, but I still get an F because I didn't show every step of the process. And that turned me off so much, I just said, I'm not doing math anymore. Later, I understand why why I had to show my work, mm -hmm. but at that point in time, I hated it. So I was like, I'm gonna do something else, and I loved reading, I loved theater. Mm -hmm. uh, you could major in soccer, so I didn't become a, like a soccer major, <laughs> but I still played. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, theater and, theater and English. So you mentioned soccer before. I'm just yeah. curious about, um 
the 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 similarities between sports and arts. Do, do, it's a team a collaboration. Yeah. I think collaboration is key. Uh, I also play golf, which is about no collaboration. It's mm -hmm. a solo sport, mm -hmm. which may be why I was also geared towards comedy and stand-up mm -hmm. and solo performance and monologues. But soccer is such a team sport, and you depend on your other player, mm -hmm. and it's a beautiful game. So it's about the process. You watch a soccer game, and the score may be 0-0 zero, zero, or 1-1. One, one. Uh, unlike basketball, it's 145 to 200. Right. But it's 1-1, one, one and the game is just as engaging because the process of people passing to each other and the interactivity on the field is what gets the, the audience excited. And that's the same process for a, as an actor. It's about what, what will happen on stage that unfolds or in a film that's going to bring the audience in. It doesn't have to be in Michael Bay movies, explosion, explosions, explosions, mm -hmm. but a good, a good script will bring the audience in. Mm -hmm. yeah. So tell me a little bit more about um, once you made that decision to like really go for the arts, yeah. and and where you, what kind of uh, artist like deeply were you? I battled because uh, I I was really good at comedy and that's still my heart, but I didn't want to be known as a comedian mm -hmm. or a comedic actor. So for years I said I'm only doing drama, I'm not doing any comedy. And people were like, dude, you're the funniest person I know. Do comedy. And I said, nope. So I would go out for only dramatic roles. Didn't book very many of them mm -hmm. until one day I said, let me just embrace who I am as a person. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm funny. Yeah. Let me bring that to my work. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started working a lot as an actor. And I started working a lot <laughs> as a dramatic actor. Once, bringing, you once, I understood. Like once you embraced all of yeah. this. Why, why, why were you so against being a comedian or going in that? I, just, I didn't want to be pigeonholed mm. as, uh, oh, he's a funny guy. All he does is funny things. So that's a funny guy. I can't take that guy seriously. And I was like, no, there, I'm, I'm, there's, there's depth to me. Right. You've got to know it. But it, didn't, it took years for me to understand that in my comedy there is depth. Mm. Yeah. That's, I, I find that really interesting because, <laughs> um, A, I didn't know that before. Yeah. Um, but B, you know, the, one of the things that I'm really interested in is this idea of passion and embracing one's whole self um and so i find that interesting that you yeah. when you were sort of denying half of who you were things were not going they as not you going my hoped yeah. and then once you sort of embraced this other thing that actually people are drawn to you yeah. because of your comedy of your comedic timing and right. uh, there's a there's a there's an openness to you, right? right? And so once you sort of embrace that, then all of a sudden these other things started to come to you. Yeah. That's very artist way. <laughs> it's very artist way. <laughs> yeah. If you had met me when I was in my dark, I'm only a dramatic actor mm -hmm. phase, you'd be like, this guy may be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> you stop brooding, dude. Stop, stop yeah. brooding. Yeah. You know, I... I get it. I, you get I it. I get the you get brooding it. Yeah, part. Yeah. yeah, people used to think I was brooding, and I, yeah. I just wanted to be taken seriously. That's, that's it. all it was. That's it. That's it. <laughs> um, well, that's interesting. So then, when did you sort of uh, discover this idea of a teaching artist? Probably, I was in New York, and I got offered to be a student teacher. Mm -hmm. So even in college at Morehouse, mm -hmm. uh, education was at the back of my mind. I was one of the Benjamin E. Mays Scholars, which is a teaching scholarship. So they funded some of my uh, matriculation through Morehouse. So when I started working as an, as an actor, someone said, hey, do you want a student teach at Romeo and Juliet at this high school? Uh, and this is like 1998. I was like, yeah, I'll try that. And I fell in love with it. And I was like, oh, this is great. I get to combine my love of, of art and theater with talking, and I love hearing myself talk <laughs> <laughs> about stuff I know a lot about. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, over, so I started in January, I, I would say probably over the semester, I was like, I had a feel for what it took to be a good educator. Uh, so that was the first, yeah, 1998, doing wow. the Roman Juliet. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And then, and then how did it sort of grow from there? Uh, it went from there when I was on tour doing a play in Pennsylvania. The director was like, hey, our actor or our teacher dropped out of teaching improvisation. I know you used to train at Second City. Can you do it? And I said, yeah, I'll do it. So I taught this acting class for, you know, the three weeks I was there. This was like 2000-something. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I'm going to pursue this when I get back to New York. And I did, and then I just kept doing it because I, I enjoyed it so mm -hmm. much working with young people 
uh, around performance and building their confidence and, and willingness to share their ideas. And I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is, this is my second thing, my new mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had this sort of discovery along the way. When did, when did you first hear the term teaching artist? Uh, or was it no, after that? the first time I heard the term teaching artist was 2002, mm-hmm. uh, working, looking like through backstage, <laughs> through periodicals before mm-hmm. the internet, er, <laughs> before it was, before it was I mean, it, it, it existed, now, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, uh, and it said looking for teaching artists to teach after school, mm-hmm. and this was with opening act, oh, yeah. which is, which is funny, and I was one of the mm-hmm. first teaching artists. Oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. So look it up. Look, look up. What look it up. Opening act. Opening act is. Yeah. So I did. Mm-hmm. I did that for uh, a while, for maybe uh, six months to a year. Then I booked another play out of town, mm-hmm. uh, and that was the first time I heard the term teaching artist. Mm-hmm. So every time I came back to New York, because I did a lot of regional theater, mm-hmm. uh, I always looked for more teaching artist work, uh, and then it became it flourished when I started working with you mm-hmm. yeah you can say where it is at the new victory theater <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's when it, i started working with a lot of different organizations mm-hmm. different pedagogical approaches different frameworks of uh mind and i learned more about arts integration mm-hmm. and then when i learned about arts integration it came back to full circle to 1987 edutainment and i was like oh that's my new thing. Well, you just you you know you just said the magical word that people yeah. are like, what is that? The pedagogical framework, yeah, yeah. Um, and that the fact that a teaching artist can work for multiple organizations that have their own pedagogical yes. approaches or philosophies. Um, so the Vic has a very specific one, it's, and usually it's very based off of their own missions. And so that takes me to a, a, a resegueing mm-hmm. to a new uh, part of the conversation about core values yes. and how you apply them. So. As an artist, you have values, I'm sure, and, and um, maybe they're defined. And then mm-hmm. as a teaching artist, we have values. But uh, I think that they are sort of one and the same, or they get translated yeah. um, to a degree. So I'm just curious. One of the things that I talk about in my, in my teaching artist course when I'm working with people who have not yet really emerged into the field is talking about, like, really talk about, get into what your core values are as an artist. Yeah. What do you believe in? What's everything that you love about doing that kind of art or being that kind of artist? And then what in that is a value? Can you sort of extrapolate that? And then thinking about working with a set of learners, what is it that you want to bring to them that's out of your own artistic values? Can you help define some of your values? Yeah. Uh, I always go back to teaching is improvisation, and improvisation is teaching. And when I walk into a class, it's a team sport going back to the soccer metaphor, mm. that we're in this together, so I want to uplift you, but you also have to uplift me. Um, so there's a mutual benefit. Uh, my core value, I think, as a teaching artist would be to empower and uplift young minds and build critical thinking skills. As an, as an actor, my core value is to change the perspective on the way people view life particularly life of people of color. Mm-hmm. I think that's also can be applied to my work as a teaching artist. Since I work with mostly black and brown students, mm-hmm. this is New York, mm-hmm. I work in public schools. Public schools are 99% black and brown students, most segregated school system in the country. So it feeds into my artistry and my artistry and my educative artistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that's my core, that we're, we're working together for the better of humankind. <laughs> Yeah. It's a big one. That's yeah. big. Big build global citizens citizenry. It's interesting because it it reminds me about that first time when you saw a multicultural yeah. cast for uh, the Merchant of Venice. Merchant of Venice. Yeah. yeah, and and that how that really sparked something in you. Yeah, and that that now seems to be a very specific kind of core value that you want young people to be able to see themselves not only in the world but see themselves in. Everything. Other, and everything around yeah. the world, including the arts. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a neighborhood in Chicago that was mostly Latino. So all my friends as, as a young person were Latino. I went to college to Morehouse, mm-hmm. which is all black, all male. Mm-hmm. Then I went to grad school at Brandeis, which is predominantly 90% Jewish and mm-hmm. white. <laughs> then moved to New York, <laughs> which is, you know, a very diverse city yeah. into itself. So to leave someone out of that, to leave someone out of that mind, uh, set 
is something I, I can't, it's foreign to me because mm -hmm. everyone, everyone's involved in my entire lifespan. Right, right. It just is a part of who I am. Mm -hmm. So I want to bring that into wherever I work. So um, I'm, I'm curious about passion. Yes. That's the, the, the core the <laughs> uh, of like the big essential question for me. I'm going to yeah. read it because I don't have it like in yeah, my yeah. head here. It's sort of still, I'm still formulating it really. But um, I'm, I'm curious about how an artist's passion can uh, uh, inspire passion in, in the people that they work with. So you you tend to, most of your experience tends to be with with school in a school setting. Yes, is that correct. Yeah, um, and then there's some smatterings of other yeah, communities, yeah. but right. mostly mostly the, in the school right, setting. in the school setting. Right. So how do we know something is changing in a in a group right. or a person? Yeah, um, when we are delivering whatever it is that we're delivering, um, whether it's arts integration or it's about hip hop or it's about you know, um, seeing a piece of work or, or engaging right. in a piece of work, whatever it is, like, what are you looking for? Hmm. How do you know that you're, you're reaching somebody? The, the thing about <clears throat> the arts is you don't know. You may not know for a while because the arts build a foundation mm -hmm. that will, you may not see for a while. It's a process, which is my favorite thing, process drama. So great example. I worked with a student when I was doing a play, Fly, funny enough, <laughs> at Lincoln Center. Mm -hmm. uh, and this student was about to drop out of high school, and he just was invited to come see our play. And the director, Ricardo, was like, hey, wh what, what do you guys think? You know, with building this theater for young audience piece for young people, what's your feedback? And the young man was taken so f aback by that question to be a part of that process mm. that he, he was like, I, I don't know. Five minutes later, he said, "I, you know, maybe this, maybe that." He, the kid kept coming back mm. every day. He wasn't even in, invited, but he kept <sighs> coming back, and we welcomed him to the room. You're right. Fast forward a couple years later, he stays in high school, and works crew on Broadway and off Broadway productions. What? So we, it, we didn't see an immediate change, right? But we saw the click. Where he's like, "Oh, I'm of, I'm of value. I can do something in my life. Yeah. I can see myself." in a different way than other people put me or saw me. Right. And I think that's, that's clear. And then another example is when I taught in, in Bushwick and this woman was, woman, this young girl was selectively mute. Mm -hmm. So for the entire semester, she didn't talk. Mm -hmm. Last day of class, sounds like a movie, but last day of class, I said, all right, class, what's everyone, you know, what's your opinions? And she said, that's cool. That's all she said. <laughs> that's all she said. Mm -hmm. But that's all that they needed to happen. Yeah. Because the rest of the class, they didn't repudiate her. They didn't make fun of her. Mm -hmm. They just said, that is cool. And they kept going. Mm. So they accepted her. We built such a great community mm -hmm. that it didn't matter that for five months she said not a word because she was included in everything that we did. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you don't see the immediate results in the arts, which is probably why it's being cut from many, many different school yeah. systems. Uh, so my passion is to put the arts back as central in those schools, in those classrooms, because the benefits of arts education and aesthetic arts education and arts integration mm -hmm. uh, are far beyond what we can imagine. I mean, even even China, or I should say, even Hong Kong is looking at the, the US liberal arts system as a, a model for education, because they realize that they focus so much on standardized tests and rote memory mm. that they're producing a bunch of business people and uh, professionals that don't think outside the box, right? And they're slowly, like, decreasing in their productivity. Right. So they, like, they want to change is it, that. Is it productivity or innovation? Innovation, and creati creativity, creativity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that just came out in the news today. So oh. I was like, oh, that's that's. Look at you being well, <laughs> up on current <laughs> events. I am <laughs> the fresh professor. <laughs> I was a classroom teacher, mm -hmm. and that was great. I enjoyed it. You get to stay with the same students. Uh, hopefully for years on end, but definitely for at, at least a year and build a community. I think that's really great. That's strong. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic, in fact. Um, what I, an, arts, an arts administrator is great because you have a, a further reach, so your ideas can reach more and more schools, more and more classrooms, and more and more students. A teaching artist is great if you're able to practice your artistry and teach at the same time. Mm -hmm. So when I was a teaching artist, I was working in, I don't know, thousands of students every week. And to me, 
to be able to be in all these different classrooms every week was amazing. I couldn't put a, I can't put a name to it. It's an ephemeral feeling, mm. but you're like, yeah, this is amazing. This is this is a wonderful, visceral response to the work I do as an actor mm -hmm. to bring it to the classroom, mm -hmm. and it made me a better actor because I was a better teacher, and it made me a better teacher being a better actor. So, if, why to be a teaching artist? Uh, to quote Stella Adler, "Those who can should teach." Those who can should teach. Yeah, we're flipping it, George Bernard Shaw. Yeah. Stella Adler's like, if you can, you should teach because that's how you become a better artist and a better teacher. So. Wow. Yeah. Thank you, Stella Adler. Thank you, Stella Boom. Adler. Yeah. I love that. Um, so yeah, so just thinking about. That's actually. I take that back. It's yeah. not Stella Adler. It's uh, Uda Hagen. Uda! I love Uda. Uda, Uda Hagen. Uda yeah. Hagen. Of Uda course Hagen. it was Uda. I was thinking about what you just said about the, the sort of visceral feeling of being able to bring your artist self to a group of people and how there isn't necessarily a word for that feeling. Yeah. Um, there's like a buzzing in your body, right? There's a, there's a joy that that comes to you. So there's yeah. something about... <laughs> like you're giving something of yourself, but like in that giving there's something that you get back. Yeah, yeah. Right? I, mean, I feel like I, I laugh a lot when I'm with, when I'm teaching. There's a lot of laughing. That should be. And, and, and like joyousness in yeah. general. And it feels like it's infectious where, you know, if, if you set everything up right, there's, there's this um, kinetic energy, that buzz that happens in the room amongst the people. And right. then, and then yeah. that sort of bounces off of you and bounces off of the people that you're working with. And it just keeps sort of getting to a place of cacophony. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you see it when you walk into, as a teaching artist, you walk into a classroom for the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixteenth time, mm -hmm. and students look up and see you. They're like, yeah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, older students would be like, oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> but that, oh, hey, what's up? It's still like, It's yeah. still like, yeah, I'm here. glad you're here. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. The, because we bring an artistry into that room, it's palpable. And I think there, we leave something behind for the students to take with them, and it, it may just be a feeling of ownership of the content, mm -hmm. maybe a feeling of, uh, you know, growth mindset, so they feel better about themselves. Mm -hmm. It may just feel a feeling of belonging, like I belong in the community, a community of, you know, a small group of people that they accept me for who I am. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I love what you're saying about the accepting for who I am. I feel like <laughs> there are lots of artists and teaching artists who don't always feel like they have a community right um i feel like you know you and i have been on boards together or right. community committees together to try and build networks and build community right. for teaching artists on a, on a local level right um i'm doing some stuff on a, on a more national level but it's still it's like we come together and we disperse right exactly. so it's, it really does have to happen on the sort of more localized level or the organizational level yeah. um so i'm just curious like what are some things that you do um to to help artists who love to teach whatever community that they do work in um, feel like they're a part of something. What else could we be doing? Or could be done? Not you, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you're yeah, solely responsible. I'm, it's all up to me. <laughs> I think what we could do is make teaching artists' profession a more valued profession. Right now, how, how do we do how that? Do we do that? I think that's a whole, totally reframe a patriarchy. <laughs> Uh, because patriarchy yeah teaching is a woman's profession only women teach so really? that's why it's paid at such a low level and that's why people look down at it anyone can teach right no no those who can yeah. should yeah teach. yes we know this <laughs> we know this but mm. still the 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 federal uh perspective and i say federal i mean the state the united states of america mm -hmm. view teaching as something lesser than law law or being a doctor, even a veterinarian, even a plumber, right? A plumber gets paid more than a teacher does. Mm -hmm. uh, not saying they shouldn't, but teaching needs to be just as valued as being a plumber or a carpenter or an architect or a lawyer or a doctor because we're shaping young minds. And until that happens, teaching artistry, which is a subset of teaching, mm -hmm. will always be, you know, the stepchild, so to speak. We'll always look down upon. And right. I think until we can change patriarchy, then we can address teaching artistry. I mean, but is there field. is there anything from coming the other way around? I mean, that's so that's, that's a pie. Yeah, yeah. And that's a big pie. Um, so is there something that can be done from the ground up? Uh, 
like you said, building that community. Yeah. So there's the New York New York Teaching Artist Group on Facebook. Mm-hmm. That's a strong community. There's the New York Arts and Education Roundtable. Mm-hmm. Seattle has Seattle Teaching Artist Network. Chicago has a teach, Teaching Artist Union. Mm-hmm. Oh. So there's a lot that could happen if we build together and yeah. bond mm-hmm. and and fight for what we do um, from the ground up. And I think making sure that our work is valued and being at the tip top of everything that we do. We don't, we can't bring our half ourselves. No. We have to bring our whole selves. Mm-hmm. Teaching artistry is not something that uh, you do you until, you, make up. until you make it, yeah. right? <laughs> like, I'll just do this as my side gig. Yeah. You have to be just as invested in teaching artistry as you do in your artistry. But I think that's part, that that is somewhat part of the issue is that yeah. there is a gig mentality within teaching artistry yeah. and and that is i think coming from an organizational level as well as a teaching arts level so there are some artists that i feel like i've met like yourself who like this is inherent in who they are right. as an artist yeah. that teaching is a part of that of share, sharing your artistry through yeah. teaching is a part of my artistry right? right there are others who are like oh i can make some money while i'm trying to get the big the big, big gig, bucks, yeah. the big bucks, right? Yeah. And those are the people who I don't want to work with because that, that's yeah, meh. <laughs> you know, like that's that's a gig mentality that's not okay. But right. the fact that people can sort of come into a field, and I mean, there are bad eggs in every field, right? But the the somebody who person who is not necessarily like this is a passion of mine. I can do this because it will help me make money while I'm doing waiting for something else to happen or trying to make something else happen is because you know there is not a there is a very rare full-time teaching artist positions right um so you do have to in order to make a sustainable living you have to work for multiple organizations and i think i think that the the structure for that can work yeah uh, and doesn't <laughs> yeah, yeah but it can work in certain degrees because i think it's it's mutually beneficial for an organization to have part-time part-time, not independent contractors, but part-time staff um, who can continue to, to make their art, Yeah. right? So I they agree. have time to go on their tours if they're a theater or actor or something right. like that. Or, you know, take a break and, and create something and then come back. Or split their time and say, I can only work certain days. That actually, I think, creates a, a symbiotic kind of relationship. But it's also on a, on a pay scale level too, right? Yes. Yes. So... There's a lot. I think there's a lot a of lot. work to be done yeah. on that. And I, what kills me, as as somebody who is an arts administrator who works for an organization, I think values artists really strongly from the top down. That, but yet we always feel like we could do more. And you know, it's, it comes down to resources. It's resources. But yeah. there are other organizations, many organizations that you know don't necessarily value, like you said value what the artists bring right. to the work through compensation in the form of compensation. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I wonder though, if they are, if those organizations are more beholden to, uh, funding, uh, funders, funding organizations, um, like what the funders understand should be the pay scale. Yeah. I was just recently in, uh, in a conversation with a bunch of funders and I, and somebody brought up the fact that like, we need, I need to know how much teaching artists are supposed to get paid. Cause I feel right. like it's wildly different across this country, which is totally true. It's wildly different from organization to organization. And I also had a couple, uh, I think it was about a year ago. I was at a principal, uh, talk where they were like, tell me how much it costs. And I was like, I can't, there's not one price that it, that, that is impossible to put in your budget. This is exactly how much it a residency is going to cost because yeah. it's going to change from organization to organization. And so then the principals are like, how do I project for that? I can't figure that out. Yeah. And if I can't figure it out, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to waste my time. Exactly. You know, so there's, there's, there's this really interesting tension yeah. for the consumer, the client, the person who can fund for the clients to get what they need and the organizations themselves. Yes. You know, and then there's the sort of this idea of a union you know, what do you do when you have a union? I don't even know. I don't even know how to start with that. Because then, and then you also talked about, you know, we have to bring our whole selves. So, you know, once you get unionized, like, do you have control over the quality of what is the pro or the, the work that's being brought to 
the client. If it's unionized, you know I mean, if, <laughs> you you should, like, I mean, I'm thinking about my union, SAG-AFTRA and yeah. Equity. Those actors tend to be more qualified for certain positions mm-hmm. as as the performers than those that are non-union. I'm not saying that non-union actors are terrible or no. even bad or even less than, but being a union actor, you do get some idea of like, oh, okay, I know this person can or cannot do that based on the fact that they're in the union. Right. And that's the same goes for, you know, the teachers. It's not very large, but apparently it works. Interesting. Yeah. We're so New York, Chicago, mm-hmm. Seattle, uh, San Francisco, mm-hmm. Dallas have pretty large teaching arts communities. Denver. Yes. yes. Um, Denver is huge. Yeah, yeah, Denver is huge. So I think just on those five cities alone, mm-hmm. we can build some kind of, you know, national database or statistics or yes. information center uh, of what it takes to be a quali- quality teaching artist. But then you start getting into the conversation around certification. I, I would think that yeah, that yeah. would definitely come up, which I'm thoroughly against. You're thoroughly against certification. I'm against certification because I don't, I, it's an, I, I don't know why. Yeah. Be, well, because there's a threat Standardization. that I don't know can be quantified yeah. in terms of artistry, right? Yeah. So there's, there's teaching, like yeah, you said, you like the teaching, teaching skills. Yeah. There's, I think there could be a certification around that. And I feel yeah. like Lincoln Center Education is trying to yeah. figure that out. And there's a lot of controversy right. around yeah. the concept in general. Yeah. I know that there's a the, there's a district within Miami that's trying to figure that out as well. Right. Um, but that's all I I know from my my own personal yeah. experience. But it's it's a it's a big it's a big. I mean that also goes back to you know MFAs because many people think if you have an why you need an MFA if you're mm-hmm. In, if you follow your instincts as an artist, mm-hmm. right, you should be able to do this without a degree. I mean, because that's what every MFA program says: follow your instincts. Yeah. So why do I have to go to get a graduate degree to follow my instincts, which I would do anyway? So there's that same, <laughs> there's that same argument. Yeah. Because uh, I've met many actors who said, you know, I trained by working. Uh, I never needed to get a, an MFA or a degree or BFA to become a good actor. Tom Cruise is one of them. Will Smith is another one. Uh, mm-hmm. for, those are film actors, of right. course, so their pay scale is a lot larger. Mm-hmm. But I've met other theater actors that have said, you know, I learned by working. Right. And you've learned by working as a teaching artist, right. as have I. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we went back in and studied. Right. But <clears throat> the pedagogy, but our artistry was strong Str- before yeah. we started. Yeah. Uh, and I. And I, I'm not arguing for or against. No, no. Yeah. I think it's a it's an yeah. interesting conversation that one that I have avoided. Actually, <laughs> to be honest with you, it, it, yeah. I, I constantly sort of keep it at, at, at arm's uh, length because yeah. it's so complicated. It's, and um, I think because you know we have many we wear many hats. That's one right. that I would like to keep it on the hook for a little while yeah, until yeah. I have something I feel like I can actually contribute. Yeah. You know, but I I think. That we should have a con- like we should have a session just talking about that, and yeah. maybe it should be a bit of a roundtable. I, I agree. Like we should get more people, more in people that in involved to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. So let, let's move on yeah, from that. Yeah. <laughs> get back to you for yeah. a little bit, okay. and then we're gonna wrap up uh, yeah. shortly. Okay. So you're 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 married. You have two beautiful I, kids. I do. Yes. Um, you talked a lot about your parents and how they brought the the arts were ever present in your life. What do you think? Uh, you know, you you're also living in Brooklyn, which is like hipster dome. Hipster dome. Yeah. <laughs> hipster central. But as as a parent, couple questions. One, uh, you know, how do you balance your your work life? Yeah. Uh, balance balance my work life. Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure I know the answers to that. I mean, you have to leave here. I have to leave here to do something for my kids. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. My mm-hmm. schedule is constantly packed, jam-packed with stuff. But the weekends are v- devoted to my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we see a play as much as we can every mm-hmm. week, usually at the New Vic. Um, and then during the week, we do a lot of painting and artistry so that's that's evident mm-hmm. you know my brother's a stand-up comedian mm-hmm. so there's a lot of a lot of artistry my wife does costume design so our house is full of art yeah. all of my friends are artists mm-hmm. so when they, everyone you know we congregate it's about art and it's not we're not talking about numbers and you know stuff 
And what kind of impact do you think that all being surrounded by arts is having on your kids? <clears throat> they're very creative. Um, I know that. They like to talk. And they're also introverted, which most artists are. So it's, it's very, you know, people look at my kids and they say, oh, they're, you know, you're James Miles' kids. You, got, you, got, you better be outgoing. And they're mm -hmm. like, nah. No. Chill. <laughs> That'll develop later in life, just yeah. like their father. Mm -hmm. You know, I was very introverted until I was older and could turn it on and off, and still am pretty That's introverted. So interesting. I I yeah. I've been really think focused on who I was as a kid. Like yeah. I was just talking the other day about I was I was always this way. Right. But I stopped talking at a certain point. Right. And and started observing. Yeah. I, so I don't think I ever was introverted, but yeah. I definitely think people thought I was because I just didn't talk. Right, right. And all I was doing was like observing and like taking in people's everything. Yeah. And um, I feel like when I, since I know your girls, like I feel like they, they do that, especially when they first meet somebody, they're really just taking them in. Just taking them in. <laughs> and it, for them, it took me like three years to get to know them. <laughs> Seriously, like yeah. they did not want anything to do with me. When yeah. And I thought, but but it's but me. It's, it's Courtney. It's Courtney. <laughs> but it took three years yeah, for me to like get in there. <laughs> yeah. It it takes a while, and that's mm -hmm. and that's also that's also Maggie, because she doesn't like anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that in the best way possible. But she's the best misanthrope in the world, mm -hmm. where you have to like. You know, crack that shell. It's like, oh, okay. There you are. Yeah, and <laughs> my kids are the same way. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. But you're right. They're very creative. They're very, you know, how do you think they see the world? I think it's, they see the world differently than other kids do. Maybe not other kids, but because both the parents are artists and they're in a multiracial family. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, we always talk about race, even though they're pretty young, that, it's they see the world differently in that they there's less judgment based on what people look like. Mm -hmm. um, their biggest what they notice the most is that their dolls look like their babysitter. And they're like, oh, that's that's interesting. Why don't mm -hmm. the dolls look like me mm -hmm. or like you or like grandma, like my mom? Mm -hmm. um, so they notice that, and they say we want more books where the kids look like us. Right. Just like the girl, yeah, you know, said I want I don't want any more books about dogs and white boys. <laughs> That's how my kids are. Yeah, and I think because they see it, they're not they're not like coming at it from a victim no. standpoint. It's more like here's what I, here's what I want. Like this is just the way it should yeah, be. This is how it should be. So yeah. let's do it. Let's do something about that. Yeah. I like that. That's yeah. interesting. What do you what do you what do you um, much like you were talking about your your students, yeah. the, the young people that you work with? What do you wish um, their 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 lives to be as they get older in terms fulfilling of fulfilling yeah. and happy. Well, I meant, I guess, yeah. I'm sorry, I mean, yeah. in terms of their their uh, abilities to access arts and... Oh, yeah. yeah. The, they have to, I know they'll want to, but I think arts are important as they uh, grow and get older and start having lives of their own and, you know, people they hang out with, mm -hmm. that the arts are always in, in part of their life, whether or not they're artists or not. I do want them to see the value of the arts and experience it because... They're both the parents and uncle and his, my, my brother's girlfriend have invested their entire lives into it. Yeah. So to negate it would be to negate their family, which is... That would be... That would, that'd be silly. silly. That'd be crazy. Okay, I have two last questions yeah. for you. We're, we're coming to the... Coming to close. the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're, they're kind of philosophical. Okay. Okay. So one, what do you think the world would be like if there was no arts? It'd be pretty boring, yeah. It'd be it'd be it'd be like watching. A, <laughs> it'd be like watching. I love golf. It'd be like watching golf in black and white, and like on repeat, <laughs> over and over again, where no one was really good at golf. Oh, just a bunch of missed shots, and it took sounds forever. Like purgatory. It sounds like purgatory. Yeah. And people would be very unhappy. And they, they, there'd be no colors. It'd be like Pleasantville. There'd be no, there'd be no colors. They'd be really. <laughs> yeah. They'd, I love that movie. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But that's what that's what life would be like without the arts. So like, there would be no. There'd be no joy. There'd be no joy. There'd be nothing in the books. There'd be no books. Yeah. There, the world there'd would be, be run insane. by 
by guns yeah. and religion. Mm, it's not already. <laughs> I know. Mm. But we know that there's something wrong because we have the arts are present. And, and, yeah. and, and, and the arts are present in a lot of different ways, whether it's cultural or traditional right. and yeah. um, beyond. Because I don't want to just put in like the, the you know, Positive? Western European oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, idea of what the arts are. It's all of, the, all of them. Yeah. I mean, if um, you look at the, you know, Western Africa, if you can talk, you can sing, you can walk, you can dance. Right, so mm -hmm. that's art into itself. Yeah, this woman, this woman that I I, I saw, she led us in dance. She uh, she said, I always tell people who say they can't dance, if you got feet and a heart, you can. Yeah, you can move and you can dance, and that's it. Right. I loved that. Yeah. Um, and so that's my that's my last question to you is, what do you think the arts does for a person's soul? Uh, that's a deep question. Mm -hmm. I don't know because did, then you get into like. The belief of soul. <laughs> so, so okay, but I understand what you're well, saying. I get what so, you're saying. So I mean, like, like their, the, the their inner, inner, the yeah, inner yeah. visions. <laughs> so Stevie Wonder says. Take soul as yeah. not spiritual necessarily, yeah. but just. I think it it opens them up to new possibilities. Yeah. Uh, you know the work we do in, in fresh education. Uh, oh my god! I didn't even let you talk no, about. No, that's okay. Ta talk more about so, that, and then you can keep. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> uh, fresh education is you know fresh ed and fresh prep two programs at Urban Arts Partnership that use hip hop music to boost achievement in ELA and social studies. Um, so I, I know watching the students in uh, the middle school fresh ed and the high school fresh prep, the Regents Prep Program, seeing them interact with the, the teaching artists and with the content through an artistic lens has opened up their eyes and their vision of what the world can be outside of their you know, small enclave community in which they don't ever leave. Mm -hmm. um, so the arts opens up the world to them, and I think it empowers them. I mean, <coughs> Fresh Prep started in 2009 with 29 students, and you know all of them had failed the test once, four or five, three, four or five times. They took the, they took our our program. 79% of them passed. 100% uh, of those students that had special needs passed. So obviously, hip hop music and youth culture, when accessed, can boost achievement and change people's lives. Uh, we just had this talk at South by Southwest where we had you know, a, a classroom teacher from New Jersey, Brian Mooney, who had a, a rapper, Audrey the Rapper, and a teacher educator slash MC, John Robinson, talk about this. And I moderated this panel, and the audience was hundreds of people, and they were all, all invested. You know, they're from all over the country, all over the world, in fact. They were like, hip-hop can change the world. But when we say hip-hop, people think, oh, you know, Lil Wayne. We're mm -hmm. talking about hip-hop culture, mm -hmm. the music, the dance, the the flavor, um, the fashion, the fashion, mm -hmm. the way people think. I mean, you look at sports, everyone dresses as hip-hop. Mm -hmm. You look at uh, people don't wear fedoras anymore because of hip-hop. People mm -hmm. stop wearing ties work because of hip-hop. Mm -hmm. People say, if you walk into a room, no matter where you are, and say, hey, what's up? That's hip-hop. Mm -hmm. Say, hey, yo, that's hip-hop. Mm -hmm. um, it's the most listened to music in the world. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big fan of hip hop, you know. You go back to Boogie Down Productions; it changed it, can, it changed my life, and I think it, ch it changed the world. But yeah, that's what the arts can do, hip hop in particular. Mm -hmm. But that's you know representing Urban Arts Partnership and representing me. So, so that's also uh, interesting. So you know, like what you what you currently are doing yeah. is is bringing um, you know something that you love in terms of the arts, hip hop. Yeah. Um, in terms of your own experiences as a young person, seeing people who look like me doing creative work, exactly, and becoming an actor in that way, yeah. really enjoying working with students, um, specifically students in school settings, yeah, and making a some sort of change and helping people see themselves differently within the world. That's it. And so, like this, this position really seems to encapsulate a lot of your values, a yeah, lot of things that you love to do, yeah. all in one sort of. Yeah. scope yes definitely. how ex how excited how does that feel it feels it feels good i mean yeah it feels great because it's it's just you know i kind of molded this position right because before before me process drama wasn't a part of fresh education mm. so I, I thought it was a necessary element um to to what we do but yeah it's a perfect mixture of hip-hop music theater where i come from and pedagogical practices and educational frameworks that I'm a, 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 that I learned 
mm-hmm. through the years as a teaching artist. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect mix of that. Uh, so I didn't have this position. This position didn't exist in my mind when I was young. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, even as I was acting, I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I want to do some more of this. I want to do some more of that. Mm-hmm. But I put everything I could into try to making a position that did fulfill me uh, spiritually and mentally. And I think everyone that puts their mind to it can do that if they want to. So, yes. I don't know what I just said. The question, but it I was, think it. No, it was great. It was great. Yeah. I'm. Um, I have so many more questions, but yeah. you have to go. So yeah, to go do some we're gonna set stuff. <laughs> we're gonna set up another one of yes, these so we yes. can continue this conversation. I love I that. Feel like there's more. Yeah, there's more to talk about. But I want to thank you, James. Thank you, Courtney. <laughs> James Wild and our our sound engineer slash producer producer Ben Weber for being here. And Thanks, Ben us Weber. Set up our very first interview. Yeah. Of this untitled work. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, it. So thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you. This I was hope fun. you make it on time because now it's uh, one twenty-two. It's okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'll run there. Run there. Run. Run, James. Run. Run, James. Run. <laughs> and cool. Thanks. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to episode one of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, James Miles, Fresh Professor. Be sure to tune in to Episode 0, Acts 1 and 2, where we meet our host, Courtney J. Body, and learn what this teaching artistry podcast is all about. Coming up next, Courtney presents her Arts Advocacy Day diaries, recorded on the front lines of her recent work on Capitol Hill. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Ritz-Totten is the creative content manager. John Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at T-A underscore artistry. Like our page on Facebook. Listen to us on SoundCloud. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life.